0: welcome everybody this is double a uh on the tailgate show network and we are excited to have our very first episode of a brand new show uh, which we talked about on the last episode of the tailgate show halitech hall uh, michael halitech who is a longtime bears fan and bears historian um gave us the opportunity to do a show for him, Um, and it's going to be him and guests and myself talking about the Bears, talking about current Bears, and then it's going to have a great spin uh, with history on it because uh, of his rich fandom and experience in being a Bears fan uh, for 50-plus years. So let's get right into it. Welcome to the uh, first episode of Halitech Hall, Michael Halitech.
1: Hey, it's a, it's a great time. It's excited to be here. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the first and hopefully the first of many episodes of Halitech Hall. My name is Michael Halitech. I'm a longtime Bears fan, as Aaron has uh, just uh, let everybody in on. I've been literally going to Bears games since I was in diapers. So that actually entails more than 60 Years.
0: Oh wow! I shortchanged you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. At at fifty years. At fifty years, I was uh, I was only twelve years old, uh, so uh, that was nineteen sixty nine. That was the year that the Bears finished one and thirteen, which led us down a long chain of events that that uh, caused the the terrible seventies. But uh, glad to be here. Um, what we're going to do. Uh, over the next several weeks. Um, and by the way, we are exactly as we're as we are recording this issue, 15 weeks from opening night when wow. the Bears host the Packers. That's exactly wild. 15 weeks from today. So uh, Halitech Hall is going to go over current Bears news. We're going to go over once we the season starts. We're going to be going over some highlights and and recaps of of the previous game. Uh, then we're going to talk a little bit about history. There's so much rich history that Bear fans that are only in their 20s and 30s that are really tuned in to podcast networks, they really they are missing the boat on so much history that has transpired. We're celebrating 100 years this year, and it has to be out there for our fan base to learn about. So we're excited that uh, you've given us this opportunity and can't wait to get started.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm excited just to learn from you um, and you know so uh, that's gonna be a great opportunity. and of course the listeners uh, will get a chance to hear firsthand experiences um, because that's you know you can you can read a book or you can watch a documentary or so forth, but nothing really uh, replaces somebody talking about their actual firsthand experience of being there. Um, so, of course, right now, we're in um, the mode leading up to the Bears 100-year celebration, uh, which you just uh, mentioned that the Bears are celebrating 100 years of their existence. Um, so the Bears are, have planned a great uh, convention and party and celebration uh, with many former players, and uh, there's going to be a bunch of panels with different position groups from um you know, with players uh, from all different eras. So it looks like it's going to be a great event. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. Uh, B. Diddy Brian from the Tailgate Show is going to be there, and I'm sure there will be a ton of uh, Bears fans there uh, for the three days out in Rosemont. Um, So in addition to that, they have also um, been releasing this week a list of the top 100 Bears of all time. Um, which <laughs> I'll be honest, it's definitely got people talking. Um, and I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's, if it's having the desired effect. Uh, I mean, I guess any, any publicity is good publicity, but it's, uh, it, it's been pretty interesting. So we thought, um, what a, you know, what a better idea than to just kind of go through it. Um, cause some of the names obviously. Bears fans you know know and some of them are current players and then some of them are former players um you know from from different uh eras and and so what we're gonna do is we're just gonna kind of go through them and you know you being the resource that you are just give us a little bit about each player um as we go through it and uh, what you think about um you know them being on this list first of all why do you think they're Doing this, I mean, aside from you know the Bears 100, it's definitely something that can be a little uh, incendiary or polarizing. This type of thing.
1: Polarizing is a, is a great word. There's a there's actually a couple of very polarizing figures in the bottom 50 that we're going to be touching base on here shortly. Uh, I think that the Bears 100, their their celebration that's happening next month that coincides with the the 100th anniversary of the NFL is important for the fans we just talked about uh, a few moments ago. The the fans in their teens and 20s and 30s and even in their 40s that don't have a clue about guys like they might have heard about Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski and and, uh, George McAfee. Uh, Bob Wataska, who's on the list, which we're going to talk about shortly. Uh, These are guys that are all pieces of a puzzle that's 100 years of Bears history. And for all Bear fans to know what that history is helps get us to where we're going to be this year, which hopefully will be the March to Miami in February.
0: For sure. Um, Well, you know, and and I think, I think it's cool no matter what to do it. I think it's an extremely challenging thing to do. Obviously, 100 years, there's been thousands of players who played for the Bears. So how do you really compile this list? And they haven't really mentioned what the criteria is. You know, it's obviously not just stats-driven. It's, you know, there's different things in it. Um, but, you know, that being said, uh, you know, it's it's good to remember that not everything um, – is being reacted to the way it's being reacted to on Twitter, uh, which is, of course you know uh the the hotbed of polarization of all things um so you know i I think it's you know it's interesting and like you said some of these names would never be spoken about in any other forum if they didn't do something like this you know um in in today's game so uh that being said we can just kind of jump right into it and uh the the number 100 player is of course uh patrick manley which um Probably uh, fans are aware of him. He was one of the longest tenured Bears of all time, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then obviously he has had a a, a career in um, broadcasting post uh, his days as a long snapper. So what what do you think about Patrick Manley?
1: Yeah, Patrick Manley, what a great way to start the list at 100. The, the all-time Bear leader in games played, 16-year career. Uh, it's interesting to note before we get fully into uh, Manley and the, and the rest of the, the bottom 50. I don't think anybody, including you, including me, would have thought that 20% of the bottom 50 would have been composed by a long snapper, a punter, <laughs> two kickers, yeah. and six quarterbacks. Yeah. And, and, you know, Sid Luckman isn't isn't even among those six. So there's there's going to be a minimum of uh, of seven quarterbacks on this list. I hope there's no more than that. Yeah. But before we get again and again, before we get started on the bottom 50, uh, they just released the top 25 yeah this morning yeah and there's no surprises there with walter payton and dick butkus being one and two so right we'll be excited to talk about those guys
0: for sure uh, we might need it e- on, on episode two yeah we might need a whole episode might need a whole episode just to talk about butkus and payton so we might have to do three <laughs> we, we can do we can do three
1: through 50 on week two and we yeah for sure Justin payton and butkus on week three but right now patrick manley um, here's a little uh, little trivia that I, I don't think most of the guys listening and ladies. hopefully there's a lot of ladies listening to this podcast or soon will be. Patrick Manley snapped the ball in his career two thousand two hundred and eighty two times. How many of those snaps were botched by Manley?
0: I would guess under twenty.
1: How about? zero. Wow.
0: 2,282
1: times during his NFL career without a botched snap. That's absolutely incredible. He, he, Patrick Manley did long stabbing. Uh, He made it an art form. You know, he even practiced. uh, I don't know if you, you were aware of this. He tried to practice snapping the ball to the holder for field goal. So, when the the holder got the ball and placed it, he didn't have to spin it to make sure that right. the links were, were facing the goalpost. Right. I mean, that's how detailed he mm-hmm. was in what truly is an art form in, in, in today's field goal kicking is absolutely critical, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's important that he took, Long snapping to another another level, so it's yeah. a great choice for him to be to be on the list,
0: for sure. Uh, moving on to ninety nine, this is a name that uh, any Bears fan that's worth their salt should know. Um, it's uh, Doug Plank who wears uh, the forty six, and people say he's the uh, the you know the forty six defense guy because he's got that he's got that famous number. Um, so talk about Doug Plank, obviously another long tenured Bear.
1: Yeah, in fact, that's absolutely a true story. Uh, Buddy Ryan liked Doug Plank. Uh, He was the center uh, of the back of the defense, so that's why they they called it the 46 defense. There was no other reason besides that. Doug Plank, uh, he was drafted the same year Walter Payton was, but he was drafted in the 12th round. That was back in the days where not too long ago the Bears or the NFL decided to cut the draft down to just seven rounds, and now they've added about two more rounds with compensatory picks. So we're back up to about nine rounds. But, um, you know, he was a 12th-round pick. The sad part about Doug Plank is when he retired, he retired right before the Bears made it to the Super Bowl, which was a shame. He, He was just rock solid. He was very instinctive. He was a hard hitter, and you know he and, and Fencek formed the, the safety duo of what became the 46 defense, and it's nice to see him there. Some people might think he should be uh, rated a, a lot higher, but you've got 100 years of Bears, so you got to fit him in somewhere.
0: Yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, 99 seems a little low for, for a guy that seems to have so much... Uh... Not only longevity, but just, you know, kind of uh, provenance about his story. Uh, So 98 is Trace Armstrong, uh, defensive end, number 93. What do you think about him?
1: Yeah, I think he was uh, a number one draft choice for the Bears. He only played six seasons with the Bears. He was supposed to be, you know, he was supposed to be that edge rusher that we've probably been missing since Richard Dent until Matt came along. Uh, he got moved from the end into the interior defensive line when they tried to develop a guy by the name of Alonzo Spellman, who I hope is not on this list. Uh, <laughs> uh, he did have multiple, uh, he had two years where he had double-digit sacks for the Bears, but he only played with them for six years. He got traded to Miami, and he had a pretty good career with, with Miami. So that might be your first head-scratcher uh, of the of the bunch but um, you know he he played well when he was with the Bears.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh he certainly you know he ended up having quite a long career um but as you mentioned his best years were probably post his Bears career. Uh then we go to uh our first uh kicker, uh Bobby Joe Green, punter. Um and uh he was looks like he was with the Bears for uh, 12 seasons. So there you go. What do you know about him? 1962 to 1973.
1: So he kicked the, for the Bears during their, their last George Halas championship in, in 63. Uh, you know what? He was a hell of a kicker. Back in the day when, you know, we're talking the 60s and early 70s. So there's absolutely no drills. You know, you just kick the ball. There, there's no leg strengthening the way they go about it in today's world. And his career average is over forty-two yards a kick. So he was he was a hell of a kicker and he you know in his tenure he deserves to be where he's at.
0: Nice. Um... And, and that's you know kickers. Uh, I, I like to I like to not talk about them very much because I feel like whenever we're talking about kickers, something's going wrong. <laughs> but they're important, just like long snappers, and um, it is part of the game. Uh, but as we as you know, of course, we we've been living in this uh, parky hell since that kick. Um, You know, I'd I'd rather not, I'd rather hear less about kickers. So 96 is a young current player. Um, Eddie Jackson already making the top 100.
1: Hard to believe that Eddie Jackson is on the list after only two years, but he's an incredible athlete. His ball hawking skills. uh, If he keeps up the way he started, he could be legendary for, for the Bears. Uh, if this was 10 years removed from now and he's had a 10, 12-year career, you know, based on the two years that he's had with the Bears, he could easily be in the top 25. So it's it's hard to say much more about Eddie just yet. Right. We've got so much more to
0: cover. For sure. Uh, next up, number 95, Larry Morris, linebacker.
1: Larry Morris was
0: one of the linebackers,
1: of the 1963 championship team. He played with the Bears from 1959 to 1965. Uh, One of his best incidents or plays as a Bear was in the championship game of 63 when he intercepted uh, Y.A. Tittle and returned the ball inside the 10-yard line. It was a 61-yard return. It set up the Bears' first score, uh, which was a quarterback sneak by Billy Wade. And kind of set the tone because I believe the Bears were down, uh, they were down 10 to 7 at halftime. So that single play caused a huge shift in that game that the Bears ultimately won. And we'll actually talk a little bit more about how they won the game as we get down in this list.
0: Sure. Uh, one thing that's interesting about him, he's uh, looks like he's number thirty three, um, and I'm looking at this picture of him where it it seems that the the defense the defense also has a number eighty one. Uh, when did they shift to sort of these number groups that we're more familiar with? Um, yeah, the number groups uh, they they shifted. I want to say in the '60s. I mean,
1: you used to have linemen wearing you know, numbers in the '20s. Um, so they they did shift, I believe, in the '60s to where the the interior your offensive line and defensive line wore numbers from between '50s and '70s, and they've extended that out to the '90s now. Uh-huh. Uh, linebackers were normally in the '50s and '60s, but they've allowed some other numbers in there. Wide receivers were pretty much stuck on in the '80s. Uh, they, but now they've allowed numbers in the in the teens right. were, for receivers. That just happened oh, in the last 10 years, probably. Right. So uh, it, it was, and that was a way to tell where where as passing games developed. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't have a number 26 going out for a pass if you, if he was the center. Right. So that's why they they ended up streamlining the numbers. And I'll do some research on when those uh, those numbers became streamlined and and uh uh you know in for our next show.
0: Sure. Uh next up number ninety-four Jim Dooley. Looks like he had a uh, three different stints uh with the Bears.
1: Yeah Jim Dooley uh interesting subject. Uh he he played he played a little bit offense, he played a little bit defense. He was a coach on both offense and defense. Um couple of things that were important about about jim dooley was jim dooley you know what he invented what's that the nickel defense okay he called it or the bears called it the dooley shift and they replaced one of the linebackers with a fifth defensive back and that is now that's a core defense in in every single defense on every single team in in the nfl And then in 1968, he is the guy that replaced George Halas. The last time George Halas retired, George Halas, he needed uh, hip surgery. And he said, I have to retire because I can't keep up running down the the sidelines to keep up with the officials. So uh, he he finally retired after his fourth 10-year stint as the coach of the Bears. And Jim Dooley, was the first one that, that came on board. Uh, sadly, their their talent uh, in the late 60s and early 70s wasn't what it should have been, and he ended up being fired. And uh, then we had to welcome in the Abe Gibran years, which is another story we'll talk about another time. But Jim Dooley, famous bear, both offense, defense coach, and head coach.
0: Yeah, he looks like I mean, he looks like he could have been in the movies. With his, uh, he's got the 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 silver screen good looks there. Um, yeah, he, he,
1: he had that rugged good look, kind of a yeah. You're exactly right.
0: Oh, and I was looking too. I guess he got he 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 uh, passed of Lou Gehrig disease, um, which is which is sad. A guy from uh, he was from um, Lake or he got, He lived in Lake Forest till he died. Um, so.
1: Yeah, he was a good man. You know, the Bear, hats off to uh, to Jim Dooley. He doesn't get uh, a lot of credit uh, because his his coaching career as as a head coach turned out to be substandard. But the guy really was a backbone for the Bears in the '60s. So uh, it I, I can't, and I'm sorry. I get a little when we talk about people passing and and diseases. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Lou Garrett's disease is not something that I would wish upon anybody. Sure. So God bless him. Uh, yeah. uh, he's he's remembered well in in bears lore and, and rightfully so.
0: Well, that's a great example of a guy, again, that, you know, uh, probably people would not be talking about a lot right now if it were not for lists like this. So uh, number ninety three, Herman Lee tackle. Um, and that's another 50s and 60s guy, long tenure.
1: Yeah, that's another guy that, you know, just to take the words right out of your mouth, double A, uh, we're not talking about this guy if it wasn't for this list, but Herman Lee played nine seasons anchoring the left tackle, which we all know is one of the the key spots on, on an offensive line. So he was there for the 63 championship season. He retired after the 66 season. So he was blocking for Gale Sayers for the first two years of his career. And like you said, we're not talking about Herman Lee if it wasn't from this list.
0: For sure. Uh, so next up, uh, we have Bill Osmanski. That's number 92 on the list.
1: One of the greatest running backs in Bears history, and we've had a lot of them. You've got Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski and Walter Payton and Willie Gallimore and Gale Sayers, and, and the list goes on and on. Bill Osmiansky was a first round selection in 1939. He led the league. He was the first running back to ever lead the league in rushing as a rookie. One of his best plays ever was he scored the very first touchdown in the Bears Championship game in 1940 when they destroyed the Redskins 73 to nothing. His run was 68 yards for a touchdown in the first quarter, and that was just the start of the landslide. So Bill Lasmanski, great choice uh, for to be at 92 to uh, introduce us to the, the legacy of, of all the running backs that we're going to be talking about this week and next.
0: And for sure, and I think it's worth mentioning, too, that he did uh, serve in World War II for two seasons. So you see his career was 39 through 43 and then 46 Uh, And 47, so obviously uh, a hero on multiple fronts, um, literally uh, and figuratively, as he was in the Marine Corps uh, and served during uh, World War II. So next up, I'm
1: sorry, Aaron, we're going to see a lot of that in this Mm -hmm. list. A lot of guys uh, in that that left the team to go serve when in World War II and and uh, probably even the, the Korean conflict. Uh, including George House. He
0: left he, right in, in in World War II. So next up number ninety one, Bob Watoska. Watoska. Wataska. Bob Wataska.
1: Bob Wataska was another lineman for the Bears. Uh, I don't think he missed a game. He played his entire career with with, with Chicago in the entire decade of the sixties. So again, this is another guy we're not talking about if it weren't for this list. But rock solid offensive lineman that played for the Bears uh, with Willie Gallimore in the championship year of '63, right through the biggest part of Gale Sears' career. So great, great to see this guy on the list. He was a good, he was a good ball player.
0: For sure. Uh, next up, you're gonna probably have to help me with the pronunciation of Beatty. Of, uh, Beatty. Beatty okay. Feathers. Yeah.
1: Beatty Feathers is the first running back in NFL history to rush for a thousand yards. Wow! His 8.44 yards per carry, with a minimum of 100 attempts, is still to this day a Bears rookie record. Uh, the guy was—he uh, he, was—he was all there is. You know, he was—he was the man back uh, back in the day. So. Uh, get the second of, of many running backs that are going to be on this list Couldn't be at a better spot
0: Next up, Mike Pyle, number
1: 89 The third lineman from the championship 63 team Mike Pyle uh, played um, throughout the 60s He played nine years for the Bears uh, And he was their starting center throughout the, the 60s and of course, he, he played center for for Gale Sayers first five years. So look at what we're talking about here: three of the five linemen that that also played in the '63 championship team, and for blocking for Gale Sayers, have made this list. So it's good to see that that the uh, the guys that put this list together aren't Bears employees, by the way. I don't even we didn't talk about that. Right. N- you know, no, we They're they historians of their own, right? Right. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, Don Pearson and Dan Pompey, whom I hold in absolutely the highest regard sure. when it comes to, to bears his history and reporting. Mm-hmm. So they they you know there's there's going to be some polarizing names on this thing, but they really did their homework and put together a great list.
0: Right, for sure. And and Pompey was uh, he's advocated for a few bears for the hall, correct? That, he has, Yeah. he has. I
1: believe he he was all the way back to the days of. Uh, I believe he was in front of the the committee uh, pitching Richard Dent among others. Right, uh, the guy, right, the guy is just an absolute. Uh, yeah, I, I like to consider myself a pretty decent Bears historian, but the guy, I can't hold a candle to this guy. He's absolutely <laughs> amazing.
0: Right. Uh, all right, number eighty-eight, Joey Sterneman Joey quarterback Stern- and kicker.
1: Yeah, so um, I got it. So I got a. I made an error. There's seven quarterbacks in the bottom fifty. Uh, <laughs> I neglected to highlight him. But uh, Joey Joey Sterneman, um he was actually the the brother of Bears co-owner Dutch Sterneman I don't know if Dutch is even on this list. I haven't looked that far ahead. But uh, you know Dutch Sterneman, George Hallis brought on board to partner, and then Hallis bought him out uh, after uh, after a few years. But but Joey Sterneman was excellent in his own right. He was the Bears quarterback in the Red Grange era, and one of the things that that I when I was looking at this list and doing some some research for our show. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with the name Grantland Rice, big-time famous author, the Four Horsemen and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Uh, Grantland Rice dubbed Joey Sterneman the strongest little man I've ever met. So um, he's not, again, another another player we're not talking about, if not for this list, but famous in his own right back in the day.
0: Right, and a guy that that uh, was born in Springfield and lived his entire life in in Illinois. Um, and another kind of interesting tidbit: he played for the Chicago Bulls, but not, of course, the basketball team. But uh, for one season, there was an AFL team called the Chicago Bulls um, that he owned with Dutch. Um, and of course, I guess it was a short-lived uh, one one year. Uh, thing that happened at, at comiskey park um but kind of interesting that uh that you know you could throw that out there as a trivia uh thing that joey sternman played for the chicago bulls when in 1926 well it's not the bulls you're thinking of <laughs>
1: that, that, that would be a great trivia question
0: <laughs> yeah you're exactly uh, yeah I, and that's something great. i would have never i mean i didn't know that there was any other team called the chicago bulls you know other than the basketball team no, So when
1: next i was doing my research i didn't i didn't realize that either and uh wasn't going to bring it up but i'm glad you did
0: yeah uh next up number 87 luke Jazz. no johnzos yep luke johnsos uh he was a
1: player and a coach for the bears uh red grange actually called luke johnsos the best blocking end he'd ever seen and a great receiver. So he he played offensive end for the Bears back in in the Grange era. Uh, He was also on the coaching staff for the Bears in the 40s, and he actually became the head coach when George Halas left to go to World War II.
0: So these guys, um, when we see end there, that was not – they're not didn't really resemble the, the the tight end position as it's now um, seen. Were they more blockers, or were they more receivers, or were they playing both ways? Or talk a little bit about the end position because you see E next to some of these old guys' names.
1: Great question, Aaron. End was was more of a blocking position uh, through the through the infancy of the NFL. The passing game really didn't take off until actually the '40s, when the T formation came into being, and and uh, Luckman and the coaches uh, put the, put that together. So you're absolutely right. the 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 end position was more of a blocking position. There was some uh, passing, as as indicated by Red Grange's comments. Um, so it's it's again it's an ever changing league. It it started mm-hmm. off as almost a a 100% running game uh, into what what it's become almost uh, uh, you know 70% passing in on some teams in in today's league. But uh, you're absolutely right. It's it's been a metamorphosis. But uh, you know Luke Johnson's played the position played it well. Luke Johnsos also coached. For the team, after Hallis came back in the after World War II, he was a coach on the team all the way through the 1969 season.
0: Oh wow! Okay, he
1: he pretty much dedicated his entire life to to the Chicago Bears. So great to see this guy on the list.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I think I I would have to think that some some of their non-playing. Uh, you know, history plays into this, you know, I mean, you know, it seems to be a theme. Um, so next up we have Alan Ellis, uh, number 86 cornerback.
1: Yeah. Alan Ellis in this podcaster's opinion is he's way too low on this list. He should be in the top 50 for sure. Alan Ellis in my opinion was the best man and man on man corner I've ever seen play for the Bears period and the conversation the guy was just a terror I would watch him I was a season ticket holder back in the 70s and I would literally watch him just destroy a wide receiver coming off the ball his ball hawking skills were were amazing Uh, I had a chance to meet him when when the Bears stopped doing the Bears convention like the Cubs and the Blackhawks do at a hotel mm-hmm. and moved it to Soldier Field, I was there for the first one, and I got a chance to talk to Alan Ellis, and that's exactly what I told him. Uh, Aaron, you should have seen the smile on his face. And he literally looked up at me and said, thank you for remembering. Yeah. Which was cool. Yeah. He's, uh, he's the first cornerback from the Bears to ever be named to a Pro Bowl, uh, I, I got. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Alan Ellis. I wish he was still alive today to see some of the defensive backs that we now have, so he could mentor them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but absolutely, uh, aside from uh, a guy by the name of Peanut, he's absolutely, without question, the best cornerback the Bears have ever had.
0: Yeah. So next up, we have uh, probably the most uh, controversial placement, I would say, on this list, although there may be more, but the, thus far, I haven't seen one that's uh, getting people as hyped up. And, it, you know, this is a guy that um, you just mentioned his name, and conversations uh, on sports radio just take take fire and get crazy, and people you know the, the, he may be jay cutler number 85 on this list may be the most polarizing bear ever and i and you can certainly tell me if i'm off base there but in my fandom of the bears which has really basically been um you know the bears have been my sort of my number one team since probably about 2000 when Erlacher was drafted um you know, because I grew up in New Mexico. So I was a fan of Verlacker in college and, uh, the, uh, since, you know, my time, I can't think of anybody in, in bearsdom or really possibly in sports that is as polarizing as Jay Cutler. So what do you think about him?
1: But you pretty much said it all. <laughs> um, yeah, polarizing, uh, absolutely. Um, i tell you what, when I was in my car driving from from Madison to Rockford when the news broke that the Bears had acquired Jay Cutler, and I couldn't have been happier. I was ecstatic that they got Jay Cutler, and all they needed to do was was surround him with the talent the way that present-day Bears management has surrounded Trubisky, and that didn't happen. Right. Look at the wide receivers. You know, he had he had Johnny Knox, Devin Hester, uh, you know, and that was about it. And right. they, they pretty much were part-time players as it was and, and very small. And Jay Cutler uh, throws a lot off his back foot. He always has. So he needs guys with bigger catch radiuses. Yeah. And this guy led the entire NFL in passing yards when he was with Denver one year. Yeah, he ended up with, what, four offensive coordinators in five years? Yeah. His first five years with the Bears. The talent, no question, the talent was there with Jay. People didn't like his facial expressions. He looked like he didn't give a shit, to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: be honest with you. And that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He got a real bad rap in Twitter in 2010 when he couldn't play the second half of the title game against Green Bay because his knee was was messed up in the first in the first half, when you add all of that up, he his body of work was unacceptable as a Bears quarterback. He had all the talent, he didn't have unfortunately the tools to work with. His line was porous. He had he had receivers that were were small. He had an offensive coordinator that wouldn't let him change plays at the line of scrimmage in Mike Martz. This is the play you're going to run. <laughs>
0: so, you re- yeah. you
1: remember, do you remember there was a, it was a prime time game, and you know, they have that overhead camera. And, they, of course, the overhead camera is mic'd, right? Right. And he screams at the bench, tell him, meaning Mike Martz, F you.
0: It right.
1: was caught. It was caught on live television. Right. You know, so you've got all of that. That that you know, it's a shame that that he didn't do better for the Bears. Um, you know, he was having what could have been a an MVP type year in the middle of his tenure with the Bears, and that's when he threw an interception and he went after the guy and ended up reaching for him and he broke his thumb.
0: Right.
1: You know, nobody. He played the whole game. And nobody had a clue until Sunday night. You know, News started coming out, uh, you know, sneaking out through outlets that, uh-oh, we've got a problem. And you know, he was done for the year, and the Bears, I think, won one game the rest of the year and failed to make the playoffs. And from there, it was just a disaster just waiting to happen. Uh, I wish Jay all the best. He deserves to be on this list. He actually deserves to be higher on this list because he's the Bears' leader in almost every – quarterback category that there is but uh because of that polarization that's why we find him at 85
0: yeah i mean you know we could do a whole episode about jay cutler Uh, the one thing i will say about him is that i wish he had gotten some kind of pr training or you know some sort of a pr firm or something because his career is is an absolute study in how not to do public relations um you know if you
1: <laughs> if uh, you're
0: you just hit it just spot on my friend just yeah. spot on. if if you you know if you take a quarterback a young quarterback and you show him the arc of jay cutler's career you could use it to teach a class on what not to do just from in terms of you know i mean the guy had suffered from from very severe diabetes okay and never talked about it and that's noble but at the same time i think that you know that affected his mood and and all sorts of you know different things and i think it's just funny because you look at the way that certain players in bears history are revered and and he checks so many of the boxes of guys that we love as bears fans and there's a lot of jay cutler staunch defenders who will fight you to the ends of the earth defending him but there's so many people that you know just sort of see see the way he looks and and unfortunately the media and I think guys like Joe Buck Uh, did him a real disservice um, by really focusing on that, you know, and focusing on, on the way that he looked on the sidelines and, you know, and and basically him doing the same thing that a lot of quarterbacks do and, you know, lighting people up and yelling at them and, and being frustrated. But, you know, when, when Brett Favre does it, it's, it's, uh, it's look at the tough competitor and, you know, when Tom Brady does it, you know, what a leader, but when Jay Cutler does it, what a petulant bratty, jerk um and it's just because you know the balance wasn't there and i and i think he tried later in his career you know he had a show on espn radio and and you know now that he's sort of away from the game you, you sort of see his personality in a in a different light but um you know with it with of course his his television show and whatnot with his wife but um it's just you know it was just sort of the perfect uh bad mix of of his personality and the way he was covered and then the bears you know um having a coach in lovey smith that just did not really care about offense and really let the offensive coordinators kind of just run roughshod over the team and you know, it's just a shame. I mean, the guy has 35,000 plus passing yards. He's, you know, he's, as you mentioned on our show, he's the most talented, probably quarterback to ever wear a Bears jersey. And here we are talking about him this low on this list. And, you know, he's still a guy that, that a lot of people absolutely hate. And it's a, you know, it's a shame. I mean, he's not going to be at the Bears 100. I don't know if they invited him or not, you know, but it, it it, it doesn't surprise me that he's not there. Um, but but I think he should be, you know. I mean, I think this guy's career as a Bear should be celebrated. Um, because, you know, let's face it, we hope that Mitch is gonna be is is gonna break all the records and he may, but this the history of Bears quarterbacks is one of the the worst in all the NFL. So it's for this guy to be kind of, you know, almost tossed aside i mean he's basically barely on this list is is you know you understand the why but it's a little it's it's a little hard to swallow um to for me and and i'm a guy that's that's gone both ways on him i'm a guy that's defended him and, and i'm a guy that's that's you know been ready to to ride him out of town so you know
1: he left at a good time he you know it, it, you're absolutely right and uh, no no more no bear has ever been more polarizing than Jay Cutler. Uh, he didn't get the job done with his talent. Uh, you know, they compare right. him to the Brett Favres and the Aaron Rodgers, uh, and you know, one of Dan Hampton's favorite sayings is A high tide raises all ships.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Jay Cutler needed to be that high tide, and he just wasn't. He couldn't elevate right. the play, uh, players around him. So. Uh, it's it's a shame, but you know it's time to to move on. So, and speaking of moving on, before we get to uh, to number sure. eighty four on the list, let's talk a little bit about our sponsor. So, sure. Karen, when was the last time you bought tickets to a to an event before you heard of tick Splits and you were just excited about finding tickets at a great price, and then you clicked on to enter your credit card information and find out that now all of a sudden you've got 25, 35% in service fees.
0: Yeah, I mean, anytime you buy tickets, even if it's not from a secondary market, that's the story. You click on Ticketmaster, you click on any of these, uh, you know, Live Nation, whatever, what have you, and you 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 think you're paying one price, and then you get to the checkout thing, and then, oh, what's this? Service well, fees.
1: Absolutely. Well, TickSplits has stopped all of that. TickSplits, the only thing that you pay is the price you see for the ticket and a delivery fee. It's $15 if you're going to get an actual ticket FedEx to your home address, or it's $7.95 for an e-ticket delivery, and the ticket shows up right in your your inbox on your email. And then you can use either the Bears app or you can use MLB app for, for baseball tickets. TixBlitz has $6 billion. That's a billion with a B of inventory on that website every day and you never have to pay a service fee. And for our listeners here on our network, all you have to do is when you get to the payment page, look for the place to enter a a promo code and type in all caps, all one word, tailgate, and our listeners will save 5% on all of our tickets. So Make the switch today. You'll never have to pay a service fee. That's ticsplits.com. Guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. Aaron, let's go to number 84. Another yep. another Super Bowl-era player, uh, Tom Thayer. Tom was uh, the first player, uh, he is the first player from the Super Bowl team that's on the list. He actually, his rookie year was 1985, and he played with the Bears from 1985 through 1992. Now, most uh, most of our listening base probably know him as the Bears analyst, and he's, he does an absolutely amazing job with Jeff Joniak on Bears radio, not only during broadcast but during the year in Bears All Access that you can find on, on, the, on the score. The guy was tough as nails. He's another Illinois product. He, he grew up in Joliet. He went to Notre Dame. Uh, He came on board and was, I think, the last of the uh, offensive line that really solidified that 1985 Super Bowl team.
0: For sure. And he's one of these guys that it's funny when you have these rookies that go to the Super Bowl. I always think about them thinking, oh, well, this must be how it's going to be all the time. And then, of course, you know, he never went back. Uh, Number 83, Willie Galt. Another member, member number two of
1: the 85 champs. I I don't know if if Willie Galt is one of the top 100 players in Bears history, but just for the simple fact that he was absolutely a speedster that opened up the rest of the offense for that for the McMahon-led teams in the middle 80s, I guess he deserves to be on there. Now, this guy has... Uh, has been a a track champion even after his retirement from the NFL. You know, he's a track star at Tennessee. He won medals. He's won gold medals for being the fastest human alive over the age of 50. The guy was absolutely a speed demon. He's still taking care of his body to this day. Uh, you know, his his catch in game three of the 1985 season that launched that team from a, what looked like a sure defeat against Minnesota in prime time on a Thursday night when Jim McMahon had been sitting on the bench. He came in, and his first pass was supposed to be a screen pass, but the the Vikings blitzed on the play. Walter Payton picked up the blitz. He found Galt downfield. He, he threw the ball as far as he could. Galt caught it, ran into the end zone for a touchdown, and – all of a sudden, before the quarter was over, this was the third quarter, you know, the Bears had gone from being behind 17 to 6 to being ahead 27 to 17. And then that one play probably characterizes the threat that, that Gallp had for this team. And his second probably his second most important play was the following week when the Bears hosted the Washington Redskins. The Bears were playing Washington. They were behind ten to nothing, and they looked absolutely defeated. Washington had outgained them like 145 to five. They had scored on their first two possessions on long, dragged-out touchdown drives and a field goal drive. When the when the Bears received the kickoff from their second score, Galt grabbed it at a, at the At the goal line, they credited him with only a 99-yard touchdown return, but he ran it back for a touchdown. The Redskins kicker was also their punter. He suffers an injury on the play. So on the next drive, Joe Theismann is the quarterback for Redskins, and he's got to punt the ball, He and it literally shanked directly off to the Bears bench and went for one yard. Bears scored on the very next play and they're ahead fourteen to ten and went on to roll forty-four to ten was the final score, or forty-five to ten was the final score of that game. They scored thirty-one points in the second quarter, which I believe to this day is still a record for most points ever scored in a quarter by the Bears. And it all started with Willie Galton and his in his touchdown return of the the kickoff
0: yeah so Willie Galt short career but uh, one with lots of highlights and you know I think that's why uh, he wore number 83 and they gave him number 83 uh George Blanda is next at number 82
1: George Blanda George Blander is probably better known as a field goal kicker in the 60s and 70s for the Oakland Raiders than he is a Bears quarterback but yeah he played Bears quarterback he actually ended up playing until he was forty-eight years old wow. as a kicker for for uh, the Raiders, but uh, you know his his career was short-lived in Chicago. He played a few years. He was he was uh, he also kicked for the Bears, I believe, as well as being the quarterback. So uh, just for the history of of this one individual, I think is it's a good place for him to be on the list.
0: All right. Next up uh, is. Jay Cutler's best receiver that he ever had, uh, Brandon Marshall.
1: I'm going to go on record as saying this is one name that absolutely should not be on this list. He only played for the Bears for three years. Uh, He had basically one good year with Cutler, and then he was a problem for the rest of his time here. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wore out his welcome. They got rid of him after three years and shipped him off to new york so uh, you know if with all due respect uh let's go to number 80
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you know marshall uh just another guy that couldn't get out of his own way it's a shame because that that one season that he was great was probably some of the best uh quarterback to receiver play that that the bears have ever seen uh but again you know it, it it's not just about talent it's a it's a you got to be the whole package so next up is another uh kind of short-lived and somewhat polarizing guy uh and a guy that had some great years with cutler uh, alshon jeffrey
1: one of the very first touchdown passes alshon caught from cutler he broke a bone in his hand it was out for six weeks but uh the guy was an incredible talent This is the guy that we needed to get when Cutler first came to the Bears. Tall, could run great routes, he could adjust to the ball in the air, and he had a tremendous catch radius. Uh, It's a shame that his career only was, he played his entire rookie contract with the Bears, so he was here for five years. Um, But again, so many different coaching changes offensive coordinator-wise, and we're sitting here with with uh, uh, all the with Lovey Smith and with uh, Tressman and, and everything else. It was just, you know, he decided that he was going to take his. He was like LeBron James saying, "I'm taking my talents to South Beach, I'm taking my talents to Philadelphia." And uh, again, this is a guy who played well, left a little bit disgruntled, but I wish him all the best.
0: Yeah, I mean he's an eagle now, and uh, we definitely, uh, you know, we definitely root against him now. But when he was here, he he made some real highlight plays, and uh, you know, I I, I, uh, I don't know if I wish him the best, but, uh, <laughs> but as long as he's not playing <laughs> Chicago, I hope yeah he will. yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, number seventy nine, uh, Dennis McKinnon, another wide receiver. He was the yin to Willie Gall's yang. He
1: was the possession receiver. He was the route technician. You know, he caught uh, several touchdowns uh, in 1985. I believe he caught two in the Giants game, the, the divisional round game. And, uh, you know, the Bears won that game 21 to nothing. It was, uh, you know, Silky D, was he was, he was amazing. Uh, he was also an exceptional punt returner that people don't give him credit for. Uh, Dennis McKinnon ran a, uh, on opening night. It was, uh, I think, the year after the year after the Bears won the Super Bowl. The Giants won the Super Bowl, and the very first game the following year was a Monday night game against the Giants in Chicago. And McKinnon ran back a, a, one of his two touchdowns, uh, punt returns for a touchdown, uh, and just was absolutely. Uh, he was electric. He wasn't flashy, but he was just damn good, and it's a great place for him to be on this list.
0: All right, moving on to uh, Donnell Wolford, uh, another long-tenured Bear. You know, it's funny, it was, we sort of get to some of these cornerbacks. Uh, you know, Chicago is obviously known for its linebackers, but really, when you think about it, there's been some of the greatest cornerbacks uh, to ever play the game have, have worn. Bears, a Bears uniform, and I think Wolford is is one of those guys.
1: Yep, he's the second cornerback on the list, and starting right now, we're going to talk about three straight defensive backs that were all great in their own right. Donnell Wolford, probably the second best cornerback before Charles Tillman to ever play a, in a Bears uniform. He was the ball hawk. He was the first Bears cornerback to record more than 30 interceptions he led the team with 30 interceptions until it was broken by Tillman phenomenal player very fast his coverage skills were exceptional you know he played for the Bears in the in the 90s and uh you know it's a shame that the Bears didn't do anything in the 90s postseason wise I think they might have been you know one or two one or two uh Uh, seasons where they actually made the postseason in the 90s but uh, definitely was a a great talent had the chance to meet him Uh, I used to work in Libertyville at a car dealership and he had this uh, it was a Mazda RX-7 convertible that had all kind of modifications to it he had literally taken out the automatic transmission and had a five-speed put in And he always brought it to our shop, so I always got a chance to talk to him. Just a great guy. So great place to be on the list for Danell. He definitely deserves to be on the top 100.
0: All right, next up, uh, continuing with a little block of cornerbacks here, Benny McRae.
1: Benny McRae, one of my all-time favorite Bears. And I say that because, and we talked about this on, on the tailgate show a couple of days ago. The very first game I ever remember is in 1965 when the Bears beat the Rams. Benny McRae's one play stands out in my mind where he intercepted Roman Gabriel in the end zone, almost brought it back for a touchdown. He got tripped up at about midfield. And that single one play is the very first memory I have of being literally sitting in the stands at Wrigley Field watching the Bears play. So... He was also a tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, cover man. Uh, His uh, his ball hawking skills were phenomenal. And there's a lot of guys on this list that are the defensive backs from that 1963 championship year. And Benny was right up there among them all.
0: Next up, uh, J.C. Caroline. J.C. Caroline. University
1: of Illinois boy, uh, he, uh, he is credited for uh, a, a huge part in the Bears' 63 championship season. J.C. Caroline played his entire 10-year career in the NFL uh, with the Bears. He retired after the 65 season. The Bears and the Packers in 1963, they both won 11 games. One team lost two and tied one, and one team lost one and tied two. So their second game against each other in November at Wrigley Field was basically the game that put Chicago into the championship game. Opening kickoff, J.C. Caroline absolutely obliterates their kickoff return man, and that just set the tone for the whole game. Bears went on to win that game pretty handily. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember seeing him play. He played a lot in special teams. He played – he was the flyer on the punt team. He he played on kickoffs. He played defensive back. He was part of that duly shift that we talked about uh, earlier. He was that fifth guy that would come in to play alongside the, the, the rest of the defensive backs. Just an all-out super talent. Glad to see him on the list.
0: Yeah, it looks like he's also in the College Football Hall of Fame for his uh... – yeah. Time in Illinois um, as a halfback, so yep, pretty interesting. Absolutely.
1: The guy was—he was just an all-around athlete, played both sides of the ball, and just—he's a great addition to the list.
0: For sure, um, and uh, another guy with some great hair. <laughs> yeah, he—he he, he did have some great hair.
1: We're gonna talk a—we're gonna talk a little bit about a wide receiver from the the uh, '70s era. Uh, here in a little bit he's he's coming up at number 65 he had some great hair as well but uh, we'll save him for a few minutes from now
0: right so uh, next up uh, Akeem Hicks Uh, obviously Bears fans know him um, current player Uh, in in my mind um, you know obviously Khalil Mack is the focus but to me Akeem Hicks right now is the heart and soul of this defense uh, just the way he plays and his personality
1: Akeem Hicks has is, is pretty much established himself in, in his time with the Bears as one of the best defensive linemen in the league. He deserved to be in the Pro Bowl after the 17 season. He made it after the 18th season. He's the second current Bear to make the list, and we're going to talk about another one immediately after we talk about Hicks. The guy just plays with a fire and a passion that you have to play when you're playing the interior line. So um, he probably makes his way up this list if he stays with the team another few years. Mm-hmm. But great, to, great to see Pearson uh, recognize him uh, and Pompey uh, to put him on the list at 75. Uh,
0: next up, we have uh, another current Bear, Kyle Long, um, who's who's been here since 13. He's been here since
1: '13, and he what he made the, the Pro Bowl is what the first three years mm-hmm. as a bear uh, at at guard, which many people thought was not his right position. He should be a tackle. Uh, he's been he's been the he's been the guy that solidifies the line when he's when he's in there. He's had some bad luck with injuries over the last few years, but when healthy. There's no guard in the league that's as good as Kyle Long is. If he wasn't uh, set back with some injuries over the last few years, he'd probably be even higher on this list. But it's great to see that he's here at 74, and if he can stay healthy for a few more years, he'll probably be in the top 50 before all is said and done.
0: Yeah. He uh, just plays with a real nastiness to him and an old school kind of mentality. Um, you know, just a, he's, he's the kind of guy that, that you think of when you think of a Chicago Bears style player. Um, another guy that's strangely kind of polarizing amongst the fan base is a lot of Kyle Long haters out there, which I never really quite understood. Um, you know, I think he, he got that contract and, and people kind of raised their eyebrows about it. But um you know the organization obviously knows who he is and really respects who he what he brings to the table and uh you know he's he's given his body to this team and i hope that um you know he sticks around long enough to see them win something for him uh so next up we have uh tommy harris tommy harris uh one of the most athletic interior
1: linemen i've ever seen in a bears uniform um I'm gonna if if the Bears hadn't lost Tommy Harris and Mike Brown in the '06 season, I have no doubt that the Bears end up beating the Colts
0: in the Super Bowl. Agreed. We
1: we spend a lot of time. Uh, I'm I'm gonna kind of go off on a tangent here, so bear with me. Sure. We spend a lot of time talking about the playing surface at Soldier Field. Uh, it's natural grass. A lot of fans, a lot of players would love to see field turf installed at Soldier Field, especially with the speed of today's game. Uh, a lot of people say, well, oh, you know, we're traditionalists and the Bears need to be playing outdoors and in on grass and yada, yada, yada. And I say bullshit. Tommy Harris ripped his leg up on Soldier Field when the grass tore out from underneath him in the the second game against the Vikings in December of the 2006 season. And that effectively ended his career because he was no longer the same Tommy Harris. That was Tommy Harris prior to that. The guy was absolutely amazing, and I'm sorry, the turf caused that injury. I don't care what anybody tells me. We can debate it. If you want to hashtag Halitech Hall and and send me a a tweet on Twitter at texter420, I'll be happy to debate it with you. But Tommy Harris probably is far lower on this list than he should be if he hadn't sustained that that career-changing injury in 2006.
0: Yeah, it's you know the turf has uh, thankfully been less of a topic of conversation lately. They seem to be knockwood in a in a better place with with it. Um, but you know, for years and years and years, it's been it's been really rough, and um, it's ironic because you know it's you know you talk about a team that has such rich history. Well, in some ways. The history of the city has held back the team because, you know, you have Soldier Field, which is which is, you know, a, a, a great stadium. Uh, it's in a, a very cool spot, but but it's owned by the park district, the the, the gr- grounds itself. And they have really held the Bears back from moving into a modern, um, you know, state of being a modern facility, you know, and, and the field is one of those things. And, and obviously the, the renovation of, of soldier field was a huge, uh, polarizing, uh, time in bears history. And, you know, and they, they were, you know, the threatening to move the bears to Gary, Indiana and, and, and so forth. And, and, you know, it's a shame that, that, uh, you know, the way the park district is and the way the development, um, you know, restrictions are on the lakefront, has you know to some degree affected the team negatively, um, you know, and and also you know it, as as cool as Soldier Field is, it's also sort of on this island, where you know you got to walk about two miles <laughs> to get to anything uh, you know of note, um, which is nice in some ways, but it, you know you see these these modern stadiums that are surrounded by all this infrastructure and and and, and so forth. Um, you know, a lot of people think, well, Soldier Field's right downtown, right? And it's like, yeah, it's downtown. You know, past it's- the train yard and past two parks and across Lakeshore Drive and next to a museum. And you know, it's it's like it's like it's like the most remote part of downtown <laughs> that's still downtown. So it's just it's just funny.
1: Yeah, part of the museum campus that begins at about 14th Street, so that's 14 blocks south. Mm-hmm. Of downtown, of the right. you know, dead center, north and south of the city, we're going to dedicate a show to Soldier Field and what we we should be doing. Um, somebody wrote an article, um, um, I think it was Windy City Gridiron, and I want to have him on the show if I can get to him. Mm-hmm. About it's now time to tear down Soldier Field, and I can't I can't agree more than than what this guy said. It here's a fix, okay. Build on what is now Grant Park. That parcel of land is twice the size of the property that Soldier Field now stands on. Okay, it's it's uh, you can eliminate Columbus Drive from the lake all the way to the rail the railroads, and you're putting it between Roosevelt and Balbo. You put that stadium there. You make it an 80,000-seat retractable dome stadium. You can still have natural grass, but I want to see—I want to see turf. I want to see field turf. Um, so that way, we can hold state-of-the-art events in Chicago. We can hold right. a Super Bowl. We can yep. hold an NCAA basketball Final Four. We can do all those things that we can't do, and we're the best city in the world. Right. sorry guys we're the best city in the world and we should have state-of-the-art look at you've got you've got the iconic lambeau field which the seating bowl was a dump if you've ever sat there you've got an absolute state-of-the-art stadium up in minnesota detroit whose downtown looks like a like a like a it's been through world war three has this gorgeous set of stadiums right in the heart of downtown with tiger stadium Ford Field, and mm-hmm. the brand-new arena that the that the uh, uh, Red Wings play in. Yeah. And, you know, we've got Soldier Field, which has one of, if not the smallest seating capacities in the NFL, and you've got a season ticket waiting list in the tens of thousands. All of the revenue that they're missing by not having – a state-of-the-art stadium yeah Uh, it's it's just a shame so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in uh in an episode here not too distant future from now but uh uh, we kind of got off on a tangent but but rightfully but rightfully so tommy harris was a great player deserves to be much higher on the list if he could have stayed healthy
0: Right. When you talk about, you know, I mean, the field caused an injury, and basically, that you know, in a roundabout way, cost us the Super Bowl. Uh, number seventy-two, Mark Carrier. I don't know why he's on the list. I really don't. Uh,
1: he played. He played six years with the Bears. He did set a, ro- a rookie record when he led the, the entire league with ten interceptions in 1980. But then he only ended up with ten more the last five years of his career. Uh, and then he moved on. So Mark uh, did a nice job while he was here his first two years. And then his last four years, he was less than average.
0: Yeah, just kind of living off that one rookie season, I guess. Uh, next up, uh, Butthead, Kevin Butler. <laughs> butthead. I'll
1: never forget uh, a couple years after the Super Bowl when they introduced these these throwback uniforms and they had the the what looked like the leather patches on the front of the uniform, and he walks out with the with an old fashioned leather helmet on his head for the press <laughs> conference, and it was a little bit crooked, and he just looked like a doofus. But he, he nobody fit the part better than than Kevin Butler. Kevin Butler was a tremendous kicker. He came out of Georgia, uh, I believe he kicked he, if not made he came close to kicking a 70 yard field goal down at Georgia uh he set a, a rookie record in points his, as the bears kicker in 1985 and he's the first bears player to ever score more than 1000 points in his career and his records held until a guy we're going to talk about here shortly that we're talking about today in a lot of podcasts uh, when when Robbie Gold surpassed his mark in twenty fifteen. It was he was a character that just fit perfectly with that eighty five team that was just chock full of characters, many of whom we're going to be talking about not even today, but even even next week when we talk about the top fifty.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, next up uh Matt Suey running back.
1: Matt Suey here's a trivia question for him. Play dumb if you know the answer. Okay. What Bear scored the very first touchdown in Super Bowl twenty? It was Matt Suey. There you go. It was Matt Suey. Uh, you know, he was he was the uh, the the he was the I don't know the Butch Cassidy to Walter Payton Sundance Kid. Uh, very integral part of the Bears offense in the in the mid eighties. And he played his entire career with the Bears from 1980 to 89. And uh, just an absolute stand-up guy. Uh, one of the funny things is, you know, Walter Payton was always a practical joker. And I'm sure you've seen the picture of him where they're in training camp and Payton's reaching up and he's literally got his finger in the the, the shorts of Suey pulling it down, showing his, his backside, and somebody took a picture, and that thing has gone viral many times over. Uh, stand-up guy, great character, great to see him on the list at, at number 70.
0: Next up, we have Bill Wade, quarterback, number 69. Bill Wade wore number
1: nine for the Bears. He was the, their quarterback in the, in the early 60s. Bill Wade scored both touchdowns in the 1963 championship against the New York Jets and they ended up winning the game 14 to 10 the Bears defense held the Giants scoreless throughout the the second half and uh, yeah, Billy Wade was was more of a technician he didn't have us the strongest arm but you know we've gone through many quarterbacks where we've just said manage the game so I guess the best way to discuss uh, Billy Wade was he was a great game manager for the Bears and back in the 60s when their defense was just absolutely tough as nails, like it was with Lovey Smith, the Lovey Smith era in the 2000s. He managed the game and and got them to uh, to a championship.
0: All right, number 68. Uh, you're gonna have to help me with this name, Dick. Dick Bar- Bar- Wegan, Wigan All right. Yeah,
1: you know he was. He's a head-scratcher on this list. I don't know why Pompey and Pearson put him here other than the fact that, A, he was named to the All-NFL Decade Team of the 50s. He only played three years for the Bears uh, in the 50s, but he was an All-Pro all three years. So, obviously, he he was great at what he did for the Bears on the offensive line, but after only three years... I don't know that much about him. I don't even think he has a, a, a page on Wikipedia, as I looked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear how you he justified Cutler being that low and then this guy with a three-year career being that high. But anyway, uh, next up, number 67, Ed O. Bradovich. Ed O. He's another guy that played his entire career
1: with the Bears. He played from 62 to 71. Ed O's interception in the third quarter in the championship game that that got the ball down inside the five-yard line in the third quarter set up Billy Wade's quarterback sneak to give the Bears that 14-10 championship. And I think that he's worn that badge ever since. Uh, Ed Obradovich, in his post-Bears career, has, has been one of those guys that you gotta have the two-a-days. You gotta have the nutcracker drills. You mm-hmm. gotta do it this way. You gotta run the damn ball, and you know he's he's stuck in the '60s and '70s. And you know when you listen to him uh, uh, with Dan Hampton on the postgame show on on WGN, it I'm I'm sitting there listening to him because Tix Blitz sponsored that show through the middle of the year last year. And we were one of their advertisers, so, of course, I was obligated to listen. And I'm scratching my head thinking, wait a minute, the Bears just won this game. And it sounds <laughs> it sounds like they lost. So it was, you know, he's a very, again, he's another one of those polarizing figures. Uh, but he's one of those guys that Bear fans love because he was on a championship team. So he deserves to be on the list, don't get me wrong. Uh, Ed Obradovich played, you know, he was a hell of a defensive end in his time. You know, when they were when he was finishing out his career at, at Soldier Field, you know, by the time that he was in the fourth quarter, his jersey would be out and he'd be walking from one end to the other when they're changing from third to fourth quarter. and He, he looked like he was just spent, but the crowd just loved him and, and still love him to this day, especially if you're an old timer like myself.
0: Oh well, yeah, I always used to love listening to him and Doug Baffone on the post games. Um, uh, they they used to get each other so fired up. Um, you know, those were those were great times. Uh, n- nobody could get as crazy about Jay Cutler. <laughs> I mean, there was a you know when he threw whatever four picks and got sacked seven times, and Doug and Ob were just just uh, just on fire.
1: Yeah, uh, of, of course, you know those 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 sacks were all Jay's fault. Of course,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, next up, number sixty-six, Mark or Mike Hurtenstein. Mike, uh,
1: you know, he's probably the least known player on the Bears defense on that forty-six defense that won the championship in eighty-five. But he was a stalwart. He was he was tough as nails. He was probably the strongest guy. On that on that line, and uh, you know, he he commanded attention of the offensive line, which helped open up the rest of the 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 guys, the, the the McMichaels and the Fridge and Hamptons and and Dents, to make the plays that that they made. Being able to to sustain two blockers also allowed the the Bears' linebacking core, which back in the '80s there was nobody better, the the linebacker core that the Bears had. But Mike Hartenstein is probably the guy that people remember least, but was just as important part of the team as anybody else on that side of the ball.
0: All right. Next up, Dick Gordon, wide receiver, number sixty-five on the list.
1: There's the guy with the hair I was telling you about. All right. He had he had some great hair. Uh, one of my all-time favorites. Again, one of my earliest memories. Uh, He was the Bears' uh, wide receiver in the late 60s. Uh, Jack Cannon was their quarterback in 1967, and he launched a pass down the the right sideline as the Bears were, were going from north to south that he tapped it, hit the defender, he grabbed the ball, he ran it in for a touchdown, 93 yards, one of the longest touchdowns Receptions in Bears history, and and I, that was another one of those games that I was I witnessed at, at the ripe old age of ten. Uh, his best season was in 1970. He he gained over a, a Bears receiver in 1970. Aaron gained a thousand yards. Wow. Okay, 13 touchdown passes. Yeah, he was uh, he was their their best receiver. For the longest time, and he's one of those guys that had had the had the hair. So uh, very fond memories of Dick Gordon, one of my favorite players from long ago. We talked about numbers. He wore number forty five as a bear as a wide receiver. You can't do that nowadays, so right. uh, we'll talk about that in a show coming up here in the in the not too distant future.
0: Well, hell I mean, getting a thousand yards as a bear's receiver is a rarefied air in any era.
1: <laughs> I mean, as it goes. Um, we haven't seen we haven't seen many
0: of them. That's for sure. Next up, uh, well-known player James Big Cat Williams. Big Cat, uh, this guy,
1: again, you know, played for the Bears in the wrong era. He played from nineteen ninety one to nineteen. I'm sorry, two thousand and two. They they didn't start accumulating statistics for offensive linemen um, until 1995. So the rest of his career from 1995 through 2002, here's another trivia question for you. How many holding calls were called against Big Cat from 1995
0: to 2002? I'm going to guess not many, but I wouldn't have any idea. you
1: You have more fingers on one hand. Wow. Okay. Wow. Counting your thumb, um, he only had four holding calls called wow. against him in those 8 years. That's incredible. You can't right, and at,
0: at tackle, That's unbelievable. You know, at, at
1: right at right tackle. <laughs> that's right unbelievable. tackle, you know, is you got to be a little bit more physical and he was a huge man.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: to to see him on this list at 64 um, great to see. He was he was one of those players that unfortunately played in an era where the Bears did nothing postseason-wise, right. but truly a great Bear in his own right.
0: Right. Well, and another guy that uh, converted from defense to to offense. So uh, maybe maybe uh, Rashad Coward could could follow to some degree in his footsteps. Uh, next up, uh, Mike Brown, safety. Mike
1: Brown will forever be remembered as the guy that returned back-to-back pick sixes in overtime to propel the Bears to a 13-3 record in 2001. Uh, He was just an absolute coach on the field. Uh, He was athletic. He wasn't the biggest of men on the field, but he just knew where he needed to be and where he needed to go, and he always got there on time. Big hitter, great field general for the for the defense. Uh, some of his his best games were in crucial situations, where he either picked up a, a, a fumble and scored, or got an interception, or got a pick six. Uh, another guy whose injuries uh, hampered his career. Um, You'll remember, I think everybody that's listening to this podcast will remember the game that the Bears stole in 2006 against the Arizona Cardinals, where they scored three touchdowns, none of which were on, on offense, and stole the game. He ended up getting injured and lost for the for the rest of the year when he, he tore ligaments in his ankle uh, during a field goal. Uh, he was on the field goal blocking team, and he got kind of steamrolled. Uh, and we lost him for for the end of that year. Uh, it was a shame um, that that his career didn't last as long as it did. But uh, it's great to see this guy on the list. He's a, he's a, a guy that will be forever loved uh, in in the uh, in the, in Bears history.
0: Next up, um, and I think maybe we should. Uh... Stop after this and pick it up the next episode um, because we've we've uh, we've done a lot. And I think we've got some great info about um, all these guys is um, one of the best players in Bears history, in my opinion. Obviously, the leading scorer of all time in Bears history um, and a guy that uh, still occupies a large amount of real estate in our psyches um, currently uh, is, of course, Robbie Gold. Good as gold.
1: Robbie Gold, you know he was a free agent. You know he he was an undrafted free agent, I believe, out of Penn State. Um, but he kept on working at it, kept on working at it, kept on working at it. He had a long career with the with the Bears. Uh, he I think he still leads the the team in in field goals made exceeding fifty yards. He has twelve hundred and seven points in the Bears history. And I don't think anybody's going to come close anytime soon to to his record. He had a bad year. He lost. He 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 blew a couple of kicks that could have won games. And and the Bears decided to move on from him a couple of a few years ago. And quite frankly, even Robbie Gold said at the time it was the right decision. He's gone on to kick what 85 out of 88 kicks since he left the Bears, and everybody's crying for him to come back. And, but um yeah, Robbie Gold is gonna be he's 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 more loved today than he left because he's been gone because of the, the Bears problems at kickers since he left the team. Right. He's 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 absolutely in Bears Bears lore is the best kicker we've ever had. Uh, we thought he was at the end of his career and he, he like Adam Vinatieri, he keeps on ticking. And he's still playing at a very high level. So again, another guy we wish all the best to. It's a shame that uh, his request for a trade didn't get, uh did, wasn't honored by the 49ers. And it seems in recent tweets that he's resigned to the fact that he's going to be a 49er again this year.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I just unfortunately I don't see the the incentive for them to trade him. I mean, they just you know, there's as you as we know, there's not a lot of kickers out there. Um, you know, it's been such a soap opera. I'm, 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 um, I'm glad that hopefully it comes to an end. I mean, no matter who we end up with, um, you know, kicking, um, you know, hopefully uh, we don't, we don't have to, to think about it too much. I mean, I think as, as this team is, you know, taking shape here, that's still the, probably the biggest question mark, Um, you know, uh, but Robbie is, uh, you know, he's, he's, his family's here. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he, uh, you know, comes back at some point down the line, or you know, at the very least, he's going to be the kind of guy who probably signs a one-day contract and retires as a bear. Um, you know, and um, you know, it's it's uh, it's just been one of those Twitter dramas and uh, media dramas. You know, him him being at the games when when the kicks are missed and you know, and sort of teasing the bears and teasing bears fans by posting these videos. And, and uh, you know, uh, just, you know, I I think there's a more than a few people inside Hallis hall who probably don't take those as good natured as maybe the fan base does. And, and are probably like a little, a little annoyed, like, you know, who does this guy think he is? Um, You know, because at that time period, you mentioned it. I mean, there was a lot of sort of moving on that was going on when Robbie left and it wasn't, it, it wasn't without controversy and strife and, you know, him sort of talking about, you know, needing to feed his family. And, and, you know, at the time people were not paying uh, a lot of kickers three, $4 million a year. And he was one of the highest paid kickers in the game. And, and, and it really didn't make sense necessarily for a guy who seemed to be declining to be making that kind of money. So, you know, as you talked about it, it was a wake up call for him. And, you know, he moved on to the giants and up getting cut, there and you know he's resurrected his career which is great for him and you know like i said i think everybody wishes him the best and everybody loves robbie but um you know it's just not in the cards right now for him to be back here um i just hope and i think we all pray that that the kicker position does not occupy such a large portion of the narrative of this next season um because that will be you know that will be a shame and, uh, you know, people can't, will not, will not be, they won't be able to wait to write a, a story. In fact, the stories are probably already written, saved on people's computers about, you know, how come they didn't move heaven and earth to bring this guy back, you know, because if the, you know, anyway, so it's, yeah, there's, it's just there's, something. There's
1: absolutely no doubt that those stories, they're they're, they're ready to hit Social media, Mm -hmm. as soon as as the next Bears kicker misses a kick, whether it's a a game changer or not. Due to time constraints, we're going to cut this short, uh, everybody. Um, Thank you for listening to the very first episode of of House Hall. Briefly, we'll touch base on the 11 that we didn't get to, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it back up. Episode two of Halitech Hall, but Mm -hmm. Willie Willie Gallimore running back from the pre gail Sayers days and part of the the running back by committee of the 63 championship team. Khalil Mack, I'm sure we'll spend some time talking about him next week. Julius Peppers, Wally Chambers, Jim Osborne, Rosie Taylor, another one of the defensive backs from the 63 championship team. Then we have three quarterbacks: Johnny Lujack, Ed Brown, and Jim McMahon, the Punky QB. We'll talk. I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more in depth about him next week. Joe Kopcha, I think, is how you pronounce his his name. He was an offensive lineman from the championship team of 1934. And then number 51 on the list is Keith Van Horn who was another offensive lineman that played his entire career in Chicago. So with that, I want to thank Aaron for uh, uh, having me join the Tailgate Network. I want to thank TickSplits for sponsoring the show. Remember, there are no service fees at TickSplits. Just go to TickSplits.com, enter promo code TAILGATE and save 5% off on any purchase, whether it's Bears tickets or any other ticket you choose, sports, concerts, Broadway, you name it, it's all there on ticsplits.com. Guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. With that, Aaron, I'll let you close the show.
0: Yes, sir. Well, awesome. It was a great first episode. Uh, I think we we got a lot of great info about um, you know this list, which is certainly uh, no shortage of uh, topics of conversation. Some guys that that we hadn't heard of, some guys that we had heard of, some polarizing guys, and it'll just continue. Um, and then uh, you know next week we'll also uh, kind of pick up with some of the news of the week, um, you know, from OTAs, which has certainly been interesting. And, um, you know, this is this is what Halitech Hall is going to be, you know, a heavy dose of history and then nice uh, touching on what's going on and our exciting Bears team uh, of the present. And then, of course, um, you know, we're going to have some guests and uh, we're going to have some more fun. And so uh, thanks, everybody, for listening in uh, to the very first episode of Halitech Hall. More to come.